Our Gospel's reading today is from John 21, 1 to 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the nets ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Beautiful day. We're ready for some good weather. Uh, and during our Easter, post-Easter sermon series, we've been talking about hope, resurrection hope. And we are people of hope. Uh, you remember Jeremiah 29. Uh, the, you know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. The Bible says that we have a hope that will not disappoint us. And I think as Christians, a lot of times we, th we, we think of that hope as being something in the future. It's something at the end of our lives. And that's true. That since we believe that Jesus died and rose for us, that we will be with Je in Jesus forever. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting. That's our eternal hope. But the question is, is there, a, is there hope for today? Is there hope for what you are going through right now in your life? What about living with a spouse? Uh, some of you have been married for a lot of years. And you know how it is. We get uh, into our marriages after 20, 30, 40 years, and we have our routines, and we have our, our areas. You know, I take the trash down to the street and mow the yard. Uh, Chris, she does the laundry, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and you start taking each other for granted. And life can get kind of dull and boring. What about those of you who go to work and you get a paycheck and you know you've got a retirement plan and health care that's all good but boy it just seems like it's harder and harder to get up every day and go to that job and beside your boss doesn't really respect you that much 
How about those of you who are going to school? Some of you are right in the middle of finals and uh, you're, you're hoping uh, for, for an A and you're working hard for the top grades in the class, uh, but you're not sure and it's starting to weigh on you and you're stressed out. Does Jesus give hope for those kinds of situations? What about if you're a mother at home and you're, you're constantly uh, you know, cleaning, wiping up snotty noses and, and dirty hands and dirty diapers and everything else? Is there hope for, for you and me in that? Well, we're going to find out today that when Jesus is part of your everyday life, there's an abundance of blessing. And it's not just for when we die and go to heaven. It's certainly for that. But there's blessing right here today. And to help us, we get to one of the great fishing stories of the Bible. You know, I, I enjoy fishing. I wouldn't say that I'm an average, uh, an avid fisherman, but I'm an occasional fisherman. And I've always, this is wood, by the way, okay? It's not real. Uh, I had several kids come up after the last service and wanted to touch it, okay? But uh, uh, fishing is, is, is fun when you catch fish, right? I mean, and, and there's a certain amount of beauty out on, the, out on a lake and, and with the scenery and so forth, but that certainly wasn't the case with the disciples in our gospel lesson for today. Our gospel reading says that, that the disciples, uh, this was after Jesus had risen from the dead, this is the third time that Jesus would have appeared to them. They knew that Jesus was alive, but he wasn't hanging out with them anymore. And Jesus was their leader. And without Jesus, the, the, the group, the 11 of them started to disband. And they started to go back to their everyday mundane jobs. And there were seven of them from the Sea of Galilee area who were fishermen, okay? And they were professionals. This was their business. And so uh, Peter, not knowing what else to do, says, let's go fishing, and six of them come with him, and sure enough, they get out on the lake, and it's night. Have you ever fished at night? Night is interesting when it comes to fishing. Now, when we were young, we used to get empty milk uh, gallon cartons, plastic ones, and we would empty them, put the lid on, and we would tie a line as it floated there. We would put it on a rope, throw it out as far as we could, tie it to the dock, and then in the morning, we'd come out to see if there were any surprises. And if we had a big juicy night crawler on there, sometimes, more than once, we came and pulled in a huge, big, ugly catfish. Oh, had to get dad to take that one off the hook, okay? Uh, you can catch fish at night. And that's when the disciples were out and they were probably at their favorite fishing hole and they were out there all night and guess what they caught? What's it say? Our text tells us they caught zero, nada, Nothing. Nil. Okay? They, they had, and what fun is that? You know, fishing is fun when you catch fish, but when you don't, it's not. Now, there happened to be someone on the shore who's watching all this. And we don't have the whole conversation recorded for us, but we can only imagine that, uh, that this guy looks over there and says, what's wrong, you guys? You forget how to fish? <laughs> and, uh, Peter, of course, the mouth of the disciples, probably had something choice to say like, who do you think you are? You're standing over there. You aren't out and fishing. We are. And finally, our text says in verse 5, friend, calls them friends, friend, have you caught no fish? No, nothing. And then this guy on the shore has the audacity to say, well, why don't you put your nets on the other side of the boat? 
Now, what difference is that going to make? They've, they've fished that whole area already all night, but they probably thought to themselves, so what? What do we have to lose? So they hauled up their net. They put it on the other side. John tells us that all of a sudden, the net was so full of fish that they couldn't even haul it in. They couldn't bring it into the boat. Later, he tells us the, the number of fish, 153. And these weren't little tiny panfish. These were whoppers. John uses the word large, okay? It means a big fish. And, and these were keepers. Well, Peter uh, is, is still keeping his eye on that guy on the shore. Who is this guy anyway? And the youngest of the disciples, the youngest of the apostles is John. He was probably a teenager at this time. And John, with the best eyesight, you know, they didn't have glasses back then, it's starting to get light, he looks over on the shore and he says, it's the Lord. And so what does Peter do? He stands up, he puts his swimming suit on. No, he didn't have a swimming suit. He, he girds himself uh, with his clothes, ties himself up, and he dives in. He springs into the water. He jumps into action. He swims 100 yards to the shore so that he can be with Jesus. And sure enough, Jesus takes, takes him in and says, come. And he says, by the way, bring some of those fish. And they, he, Peter helped him haul in the net full of fish, and they had breakfast together. And it was just like old times. The fellowship was restored. Jesus was, was with his guys. It was a wonderful time. Well, we wonder, what can we learn from this incident, this fishing expedition? Uh, you know, does your life ever seem dull and boring? Has some of what you do on a regular basis just become ho-hum, whether it's your job, uh, whether it's at your house? John says that it doesn't have to be that way. Just as the Lord made, brought excitement to their fishing life and to their personal lives, the Lord Jesus comes to us on, on a daily basis and he says, I want to be part of your life. Come, come. And so we find out that with Jesus, we have real hope. You may feel like those disciples that caught a big fat zero, that there is no hope. Maybe you feel like what you're doing in your life isn't so grand and glorious, and that your life is mundane, and you aren't doing much for God or for other people. And yet we are here today because the one who made you the one who then went to the cross for you to die for your sins, the one who rose again from the dead is there to give you hope, a hope that is real for every day of our lives, to help us to understand that with Jesus there is a true joy, a true peace that nothing or no experience in this world can offer to you. And with Jesus, that hope makes a difference even in our everyday normal lives. And I know that sometimes we do feel like a zero. Sometimes we feel like a failure. And that's why it's so interesting that Peter, Peter who is the one, the, head of the, the de facto head of the disciples that has touched most. Because remember it was Peter who did something terrible the night our Lord was arrested. And during his trial, remember what he did out in the courtyard as he was warming himself on the fire? People came up to him, to Peter, and said, Peter, you're one of those followers of Jesus, aren't you? No way. He swore that he didn't even know Jesus. And before the rooster crowed, how many times did Peter deny that he knew Jesus? Remember? Three times. 
And as far as we know, Jesus and Peter had never talked about this again after the resurrection. And so in the back of his mind, don't you think Peter felt like a failure? And yet he's the one that jumps out of the boat and goes to the shore. And it's Jesus who loves Peter and accepts him and forgives him. You see, Jesus doesn't reject us at our times of failure. On the, on the contrary, just like for the disciples, he says, come on, let's get together. Let's share our lives together. Let's have a meal together. Let's, let's, let's come together and have fellowship. After a long night of marching, it was General Robert E. Lee and the exhausted army of Northern Virginia that made camp just east of Appomattox, the courthouse, on April the 8th, 1965. General Ulysses S. Grant had sent him a letter the night before asking him that he should consider surrender because they were, the, 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 Lee's army was so numerically overwhelmed. Well, the southern general refused. Grant pleaded, please think about it. And this was Lee's response. He says, I don't think the emergency has arisen to call for the surrender of this army, but I will meet you tomorrow morning. Well, having watched the last few battles through his field glasses, Lee realized that he was about to be defeated and to be wiped out. And so he said, he said, the meeting needs to take place. I would rather die a thousand deaths. But he said, we are pressed in on every side. We have to surrender. And so he went to the McLean house and he met the general, General Grant. And the first question was, what are the terms? What are the terms of surrender? Surprisingly, the terms for the rebel army were simply to lay down their arms, go home and plant their crops. There would be no prison. There would be no retribution. The terms for, were to st simply stop fighting and start living. And the men from the south, they hadn't eaten in days, so they were given rations, meal rations. They were even given horses and mules so that they could go home and get their fields ready to plant. You see, Jesus Christ, our risen and victorious Lord, gives us a similar invitation. When it comes to Life seeming to be bogged down, seeming to be going nowhere. When life feels defeated and discouraged, that's when Jesus comes to us and says, just lay down your troubles, lay down your anxiety and come, come. Come and spend time with me in my word where your, your soul will be refreshed. Come and talk to me in prayer. Come and receive the meal that is prepared for us in Holy Communion. Come, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. And friend, that rest, that peace that Jesus has to offer through his death on the cross and his resurrection is a hope that is not just for when we die, but it's a hope for right now in eternity. And so we learn that when Jesus is with us, we're always going to have hope. But there's another point that I see to this fish story, and it's this. Whatever your station in life is, whether you're retired, whether you're a homemaker, whether you have a job where you work not only 40 hours but even overtime, whether you're a student, whether you're, whatever God has placed you in, it's good to remember that Jesus is with you and he's there to give you strength and he's there to give you hope. It's important to know that 
you haven't been placed here on accident, that not only do you have the presence of Christ as your hope, but you also have a purpose. God also has a plan for you. Well, you know, in the story by the lake, the disciples ended up catching fish. Do you remember what, how many fish he caught, they caught? 153. Now, there's been lots of, of, of articles and books written about the significance of 153. To me, it's just a lot of fish, okay? It's a lot of big fish. But it also represents a number of completeness. That the number in the net could represent the number, the total number of God's people who get to know Him. The, the number who have experienced His grace of completeness. And that, that that number is not complete yet. That there's still people out there that don't know him. And it, and it recalls another fishing story. Do you remember when Jesus called his disciples? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of big fish. Fishers of men. Fishers of people. And so as Christ gives us hope for our daily lives, he also gives us a purpose. That no matter what you are doing in your life, God has called you to be part of his team. We are part of the team that is, that is trying to catch people into the net of God's grace so that they have an eternal hope, that they have an eternal future, that they would recognize that Jesus is part of their everyday lives. And so friends, don't get discouraged. Whatever you're going through in your life, Jesus is with you to give you hope. And not only that, but Jesus is with you to give you a purpose, that you are a fisher of people that God is using you to reach out with his grace and his love as you serve the Lord and other people. Yeah, life can become pretty dull. Do you need some excitement? Pastor Max is going to give us some in just a minute here with a, with a flying rocket, okay? Uh, but Jesus is exciting in your life right now. And he's called you not only to know him and his love and his mercy, but then to know that he has a plan for you that is for today and it is forever. And so may the world see our spiritual splashing, just like Peter, who sprang into action, who dove into the water. May we be people of action. That whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen.